reality is this morning that you dwell under friendly skies, a God who is good, has your good in mind. We are welcomed by the God of love, of grace, who is both holy and righteous and true, and yet, in his essence, good. And so we welcome you here this morning, God, and ask that you would work and you would speak and that you would move and that we'd get just a greater glimpse of who you are, that our hearts would just begin to leap out of our declaring you're good, that that would be a sweet place of home for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, you can have a seat. Man, good morning. Welcome to Awakening. Um, we're in a new series, Human Becomings, and uh, we're starting it today. But if you don't know, we're going to run uh, to the throne throughout this whole series. We're, we're going to get after it. So we normally kind of give a little bit of a warm-up uh, there. There is no warm-up. So stretch before you come to church uh, and, and get ready, and we're going to dive right into it. Um, our heart, by the way, every single service, this is our prayer. This is our, our dream. Our heart is that this moment you would experience, we'd be able to create an environment for you to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus that would change your everyday life. It's not enough for you to come into a moment and simply have an experience and walk away living the same. Our prayers in this moment that, that the God of the universe would show up and meet you in such a way that what we just sang, you are good. No matter what your circumstances, no matter where you're at or where you're coming from, you'd experience that God and it would change tomorrow and the day after. Um. I love this time of year. It's crazy. Like I said, I think it was last week or one week ago. I don't remember. can't remember when I say things. But part of what I love about this time of year is it's graduation season. How many have gone or like are planning on going to graduations? Literally three of you. Okay, there's more of you. Okay. You had to think about it. You're like, I'm not sure if I'm actually going to go. I was invited, but I don't want to go to the graduation. Uh, but I want to do, start this way. Would you sit back? Would you relax? And think back to your most memorable graduation. I don't know what it was. Like, honestly, one of my most memorable graduations was my junior high graduation. I was the keynote speaker. Kind of a big deal. Um, right? But sit back. Well, it might have been the most recent one, whether it was high school, college, maybe your master's, maybe even your doctorate. But what was that moment? Just relax for me. Think back. The emotions that you felt. The anticipation. The excitement of being done and moving on. There's something about it, you know, for those of us that are out of the school system, that we don't celebrate progression anymore. We don't celebrate 
how we are progressing in life. Instead, we just kind of get into a rhythm and just go through it. But graduations are those moments where we, where we remember, we reflect where we've come, and we look forward to where we're going. Do you, do you remember, like, wondering what's next? Remember, like, especially maybe it was a college or high school graduation, you're leaving friends, you're leaving certainty, you're leaving all that you knew behind, and you're moving on to the great unknown, wondering what's going to happen next. And you begin to ask questions, don't you? Something about major transitions in life causes us or leads us to ask significant questions. It just happens. Like, who am I? Where am I going in life? Big question we ask, you know, especially um, if you are going to college, we ask, well, what are you going to major in, right? If you're graduating college, we ask, what are you going to do with that degree? How, why did you get that degree? That can't, no, no, I'm sorry. Um, But right we, we start to ask questions around doing, around what your occupation is going to be. And yet, there is a bigger question. One that's presented in those moments, but one that honestly, many people don't ask until near the end of their life. And it's not so much of a question as a reflection. Looking back on life, the question is this way, who have I become? And what did I do with the life I had? And yet, the bigger and greater question for us, and we'll be talking about this in human become means, is who are you becoming? See, what you do is of little consequence in comparison to who you become. I love what A.W. Tozer wrote. He said, we humans are not only in a state of being, we are human beings. We hear that all the time. You're a human being, and some people have said you're not a human doing, you're a human being. I agree with that, but we are in a state of becoming, Meaning that you are growing, you are progressing through life, that your starting point isn't your final destination. We are in a slow spiral moving gradually up or down. I believe one of the most important questions you can ask, no matter what stage you're in, is who are you? becoming. This series is all about answering that question. Maybe said another way is how do you truly experience transformation? I mean, how do you experience the change that is for a better? How do you become who you long to be and who God made you to be? 
Next week, we're going to be talking about this concept of going to the source of transformation. Like, like how do you actually, nuts and bolts, experience transformation and become who God made you to be? You don't want to miss it. Steve's going to be talking on it. It's going to be fantastic. The following week, this concept, training versus trying. And this is why many of us don't experience the transformation in our life that we long for. And it has to do with this concept of training versus trying. And then we're going to close close out with uh, week four with the four questions that will help recalibrate your soul or your life to really become who you are ultimately made to be, who you long to be, and who God made you to be. And this week, we're going to get back to diagnosing the problem of why is it we aren't who we want to be. I mean, go back to college for some of you, and you had uh, in that dreams, aspirations, longings of not only what you wanted to do, but who you wanted to be. And fast forward, and I don't know how many years, it may be a few years, it may be five, 10 years. Fast forward, and you look back and you wonder, well, I certainly haven't gotten as far down that road. It doesn't look the way I thought it would look. Why is that? You ever wondered? This morning, let's diagnose the problem. We're going to talk about where it all went wrong. Sound encouraging? (laughs) You know, as I put that title up there, I just, uh, you know, as we're talking in our prayer time earlier, I'm like, this is a little nerve-wracking when you talk about where it all went wrong. And I'm like, I mean, this whole sermon, it just go, you know, you will be encouraged, but you will be challenged this morning. I believe God has a word for you. And so oftentimes we want to stay on the surface and not dive down to the source issues. And as a result, don't experience the life change that we ultimately long for. So buckle up. Here we go. We're going to diagnose the problem where it all went wrong. The Apostle Paul is going to say that transformation directly connects to our thinking. It directly connects to our thought life. He's going to say where it all went wrong. It starts with head trouble. Notice if you got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter four, if you open them up, if not, it's in your notes, verse 17. Paul says this. So I tell you this and assist on it in the Lord. Let's just stop there for a second. If you're a follower of Jesus, like I'm a Jesus follower. He's the Lord of my life. So I tell you this, this isn't just like, hey, someone giving you nice advice, right? And insist on it in the Lord. Okay. The call of every single follower of Jesus is to become like Christ. It's Christ's likeness, not your own convenience. Paul's saying this is for every single one of us who would say, answer the invitation of Jesus, come after me, follow me. So I tell you, insist on this, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In fact, that word live is the word walk. Uh, He uses it twice, uh, that you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, is literally how it is in the the Greek there, that you no longer walk, and walk is a pattern of living. It's it's the direction that you're headed. We all walk down a path, and every path has a destination. He's saying, don't walk down the path 
path that the Gentiles do that are far from God, that there's a way about going about life that doesn't produce who you long to be, who you were made to be. So by the way, a believer, here, here listen, this is gent- I'll say this gentle. A believer's life who does not change is an oxymoron. Okay, a few of you are with me. I know, it's a little contention. See, I love, if you're at our Mother's Day, uh, Sherry said something to this effect. Grace, grace meets us where we're at. However, grace never leaves us where we're at. Now, here's one of the key thoughts about experiencing life change, transformation, becoming who God made you to be. Isn't it interesting? He said, okay, don't walk in the way the Gentiles walk. Okay, I got a direction. And then he says, in the futility, you would expect him to say of their ways, in the futility of their path, in the futility of their actions, in the futility, in the uselessness of their thinking. See, where it all went wrong, head trouble, Here's what he's saying. The thoughts you embrace today determine who you become tomorrow. The thoughts that you embrace today will fundamentally determine who you become tomorrow. That is why the most important decision you make every single day is what you allow into your mind. Proverbs 27.3 says it this way. That as a person thinks, so they become. That your thought life is what produces who you are. Uh, it's interesting, psychology kind of caught up to this concept, and it's a biblical concept, but psychology would call this uh, cognitive behavioral theory. You pull that up for me there. Thank you, sir. You almost there? There you go. Uh, And here's what cognitive behavioral theory says, is what we think directs how we feel and what we do. That how you think directs how you feel. How you think directs how you behave and act. And so as a result, a lot of psychologists have, uh, there's, you can research this, that there's these, these common cognitive distortions that people believe and as a result impacts how they live throughout their life. I wrote down a few. Actually, I didn't write them down. I took it from a book. Um, but let me just say a few of these because this is so easy to see in other people and so hard to see in ourselves because we think the way we think is right. And everybody else is wrong. First area, you may find resonance here that uh, cognitive distortion common, all or nothing thinking. You may see things in black and white categories. If your performance falls short of perfect, you see yourself as a total failure. Have you experienced that? I think that's where most Apple employees are. Um, That's how they feel. Um, just seems to be the kind of people they recruit. Mental filter, you pick out a single negative detail and dwell on it exclusively so that your vision of all reality becomes darkened like the drop of an ink that colors the entire beaker of water where it's just one thing, but that one thing clouds everything else. Do Do you find that you do that maybe with a relationship? Do you find you do that even with yourself and your own 
self-worth. I, I, this fourth one, or third one, I do. I, I've, I have this tendency, disqualifying the positive. You reject positive experiences by insisting they don't count for some reason or other. In this way, you can maintain a negative belief that is contradicted by your everyday experience. Is it hard for you to receive a compliment? Do, do you discount it? Do you have a self-talk that says, well, they don't really mean that or they don't really know, and if they only knew? Welcome to the club. Cognitive distortion. Emotional reasoning. You assume your negative emotions necessarily reflect the way things really are. I feel it, therefore it must be true. And so you are swayed by your emotions. And so if you feel up, everything's great. You feel down, everything's bad. And you go up and down, up and down. Should statements. You try to motivate yourself with should and shouldn'ts as if you had to be whipped or punished before you could be expected to do anything. Must and oughts are also offenders. The emotional consequence is guilt. When you direct should statements toward others, you feel anger, frustration, and resentment. Are you constantly trying to motivate yourself by you should do this, you ought to do this, if only you would or could, and you just live under this canopy of guilt? Labeling and mislabeling. This is an extreme form of overgeneralization. Instead of describing your error, you attach negative label to yourself. I'm a loser. When someone else's behavior rubs you wrong, you attach a negative label to them. They're lame. Maintaining uh, mislabeling involves describing an event with language that is highly colored and emotionally loaded. You got to ask where it all went wrong. Some of the best psychology of today, 2,000 years later, simply agreeing with what the Bible already said. It begins in the head, and they have head trouble. Psychologically, they've come up with this kind of fun phrase, stinking thinking. Do you have stinking thinking? See, the thoughts you embrace today determine who you become tomorrow. What are the thoughts that you are embracing today? Growing up, my friends and I could see this relationally with one another. When we would be, you know, dating. And I, you ever see someone who has stinking thinking when they're dating? Like head trouble? It, yeah, they're called dumb in love, right? They, they look, you look at them and they just do the stupidest things. Well, I had a close band of buddies that we hung out together. And then as we'd hang out, then one guy would drop off the map for a while. And you know why? Girl, you know, and then they'd break up and he'd come back. Oh, and we're like, who are you? Oh, wait. Yeah, you're our buddy. Yes. And, and it happened over and over and over. And then we'd be walking with a friend or I would do this. And, and one person, girl would treat us badly and go, dude, why are you staying with them? Because I love her, you know? And we spawn that and like, she's treating you like junk. And it would go back and forth and it, it'd just go like, you're just making the stupidest decisions. But there's something distorted in our thinking that causes us to keep making the same decision, expecting different results. And we just wonder why we keep hitting our head. In fact, what we called it back then was hitting the glass wall. You, I don't know if you've had this experience where you've run really hard thinking the glass, sliding glass door is wide open, and it's not, and boom! Whoa, hello, right? See, what happens with our thought life is we just keep hitting the glass wall over and over and over 
again. And you wonder where it all went wrong. The Apostle Paul is going to say, you got head trouble. It's an issue of your mind. But it's not just... um, it's not just a part of your mind. There, there is a deeper issue. In fact, he's going to take us to a deeper root issue of where do those thoughts come from? Why do we have cognitive distortion? Why do we have head troubles? He's going to say it's as a result, it stems from your heart. You have heart problems. You want to get to the core of transformation You want to get to the core of who are you becoming? Apostle Paul is going to say the very core of it begins right here, your heart. And heart work is the hard work for sure. Notice what he says. He says, they are, speaking of those, the Gentiles far from God, they are darkened in their understanding, literally unable or unwilling to understand and separated from the life of God. Okay, descriptive. Here's why. Because of the ignorance that is due them in them, that is what? Due to what? Why? Hardening of their hearts. The ignorance, he's going, the issue is it's a heart issue. You may have heard it said that the, the problem or the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human. I, I didn't come up with that, but that's true. That the heart of the problem for you and for me is our heart. The heart, biblically, is the center of one's being, their thought life, their volition, emotion, conscience, and will. It's who you are. The Apostle Paul saying here, is you have heart, where where did it all go wrong? Well, head trouble stemming from a heart problem. You want to say it more clinically, you have cognitive distortion stemming from spiritual cardiomyopathy. Cardiomyopathy is a disease of the heart. There's multiple variations of this disease, but one part of it is actually a literal thickening of the heart and a hardening of it where then the valves in there begin to stiffen up and they can't pump blood. What's fascinating, is, I guess not fascinating, just from a study point of it, is there's many people with cardiomyopathy that have no idea they have heart disease. Until maybe one time they come to a doctor and they find an irregularity in their pace. Maybe they find high blood pressure, swelling of ankles and whatnot, and they have some symptoms. But there are some who just have an encounter where then their heart fails on them and some die, never knowing they walked around with a sickness in their hearts. And the Apostle Paul says this, okay, who are you becoming? Why, why is it so hard? Cognitive distortion, head trouble, stemming from spiritual cardiomyopathy. I know that you go, there's a heart issue. And for some, you don't know you have a heart issue. And for some, this morning is the doctor's office going, hey, you need to deal with what's going on 
in your heart. And until you do, you will never become who you long to be and who God made you to be, period. Uh, That's why the proverb says this, guard, remember this, some of you grew up in church, guard your heart above all else for what? For from it flows the wellsprings of life. Another translation, for, for from it flows the very issues of life itself. The NLT says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. See, and the, again, heart issues are one of those things that you see in others and you dismiss in yourself. I've heard it said that we are expert lawyers when it comes to other people's sin and junk. And yet, expert judges when it comes to our own. That we're so good at saying, or I said that backwards, sorry, that's so much better. Hang on, can I try it again? Let me try it again because it's, it's, it's good. But if it's, okay, we're expert. <laughs> Man, because I saw you going like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and then I thought back about what I said, and you're right. It's just st- stupid. All right, you ready? Thanks. Hey, thank you, Andrew. If you flip it, then it makes a whole sense. All right. Expert judges. I'll get it right in a second. Expert judges of everyone else's sins. See, now you're done with me. All right, okay. <laughs> and yet expert lawyers of our own. Where we, where we go, okay. They have a problem. If they get their act together and yet don't deal with our own heart problem, our own heart issues. This last week, I was uh, at the yard house with some buddies that I've grown up with. We've known uh, for a long, long time, and we're hanging out, and we do this, oh, only three or four times a year. And as we're sitting around the table, the guy comes up to our table that I don't really know, but they knew, and he's saying hi, and we're like, oh, what brings you to the yard house? And, um, and he's like, oh, you know what? We just found out some... Uh, some devastating news about one of our friends. And so many at the table responded, oh man, I'm so sorry to hear about that. One guy that I know really, really well, uh, he said, he's like, um, on a different note, er, uh, what do you think about Ezekiel Elliott? Now, for those who don't know who Ezekiel Elliott is, he was the first round draft pick for the Dallas Cowboys, God's team, by the way. Um, this guy was a big, is a big Dallas Cowboys fan. Now, so this is so easy to see in someone else. So I can sit there and see this of like, man, that, that was like a hard-hearted response. Like this guy just talked about a devastating reality that their friend died. And the way we manipulate it from a hard heart to cognitive distortion is I'm like, dude, that was lame. He's like, whatever, I was trying to bring the mood back up. He loves the Cowboys. I was trying to get his mind off of that and thinking about, man, they got this great running back. Isn't that good news? And, you know, what your fantasy football team's going to look like. But that's how we do it, by the way. That's how we operate, and we all do it. 
We, we all have a justification for why we behave the way we behave. And yet it goes back to, no, 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 that was just a hard-hearted response that then produced a cognitive distortion, head trouble, because I'm just now beginning to justify why I'm doing what I'm doing. See, he says, head trouble stemming from heart problems produces numb living. You want to know what it produces in your life? Numb living. Now, I don't mean dumb living. Because we see people who actually live so, like, stupidly, right? It does produce that. But what we do is we use them as the extreme to discount our own numb living. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, having lost all sensitivity, that word is literally to lose the capacity to feel. For some, maybe in your translation, it says, and the callousness, that there was just a callousness of, that they couldn't feel. They have given themselves over. Now, this is interesting. Given themselves over, it literally means to self-abandon that you've given up on who you could become because you feel like you could never become that. So you just give up and you give over to what's in front of you, a self-abandonment. And for some, you walked in this room and that's where you're at and you're struggling. You're like, I don't know that who are you becoming? I, I don't like who I'm becoming, but I don't know how to become anything else. And he's gonna say, there's two primary areas where we numb out in life. First area, he's going to talk about pleasure, given over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. That pleasure, because you know why? It just makes us feel something. For some, it gives you that moment of feeling alive. It has a temporary relief with, a, with often a negative, negative dark side on the back end. Now, we're not talking about sensuality or sexuality in God's design. We're talking about like, hey, you know what? I'm clicking online to feel something produces numb living. I'm, I'm just trying to sleep with anyone and everyone because in that I feel like somebody. I'm at the office and that conversation because, you know, the marriage has been a little tough lately. And so, man, spark is something. It's just a conversation. It's not that big of a deal. Hey, it was just a lunch. He's going to say the first area is in the area of pleasure. The second area, then he's going to say they are full of greed. Greed is a lust for more. Excessiveness. It's a never being satisfied where it's all for me and about me. And this is numb living is when you use pleasure and possessions, which aren't bad things in and of themselves, but they become an ultimate thing when you substitute them for life in God. And when they become the driving force upon which you look to find life itself. And that's what we do. Look around us. Look at the Silicon Valley. And and we don't have to define pleasure broadly. Might be, it might even be, hey, eating out at some great restaurant. It might be going to experience who knows what. but we live lives as if that is what life's about and miss out on life itself. 
See, numb living, when, when we make that the ultimate aim in life, it, it, it pulls us away from God and it pollutes our relationship with others. And you've experienced that. You've experienced each one of those where, where it pulls you away from who you are made to be and it pollutes the relationships that, are, that you have with others. All right. Be encouraged. Have a great week. Talk with you later. Glad you showed up to where it all went wrong. So that's where it all went wrong. Head trouble that leads, that stems from a heart problem that produces numb living. I want to talk for the remaining few minutes that I have. Is if that's where it all went wrong, how do we experience the starting point of becoming who you're made to be? The starting point of transformation. Um, When we ask this question, who are you becoming? Intuitively, what I begin to ask as well for us as a church, who are we becoming? thought about that. But who are we becoming as a church? And Steve and I actually spent a lot of time on Monday talking about that thought. And here's our answer. Here's who we're becoming. Here's what we're trying to do. Our vision is to see an awakening happen that people would experience brand new life in Jesus because he alone is the one who offers life itself. But what does that look like? That we'd be a community every single one of us, of passionate Jesus followers. Like Jesus is our purpose, that we would walk by faith, that we'd actually trust God, that we'd be a voice of hope to the hopeless, and that we would be a community known by our love. Because that is what we are called to be. That's who we're becoming. So how do you experience that? I think that's what we all, we go, okay, that's who, that's who I want to become. That's not just a, a collective, that's an individual. That's who we want to become if you're a Jesus follower. There's a, a passage, Ezekiel 37, that I love. It's been kind of my passage for um, our church and for this valley. It's called the Valley of Dry Bones. It's where God takes uh, the prophet Ezekiel to this valley, and it's a bunch of dry bones. Weird chapter. You should read it sometime. It's amazing. I often think of Silicon Valley as the Valley of Dry Bones. Now, we walk past. Think about this, by the way. I'm getting off on a tangent, but it's okay. Uh, that we walk past human becomings every single day with God-given potential who are made in God's image and who are longing to become who he made them to be. And for some of us, we need to have a heart for those who are dry and weary and far from God. And we'd begin to see our city as dry bones and people who are desperate in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen by myself. And he takes Ezekiel to this valley. He says, prophesy. And all of a sudden you begin to see life happen. 
You see, life happened because God was in the middle of it and God could do what only he could do. Because uh, he asked Ezekiel this question. He's like, do you think this valley could come to life? You look at it and the answer is no, it's impossible. And his answer is like, only you know. For some, I think that's the question for you, you're wrestling with, do you think this valley, do you think this valley could come to life? And for some of you going like, I don't think so. I don't know if this valley is chapter before it, God says this. This is the starting place for transformation. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will move from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Would you stand with me and we're going to close and I'm going to ask you to do some things. And Eric, you turn the lights down for me. We're going to enter into a season of worship. We're going to take communion because at communion, we celebrate the God who did what we could not do. Yeah, we have head troubles and a heart problem that produces numb living. And, and we've been trying to fix it in and of ourselves. And even as followers of Jesus, we, we miss out on the supernatural, that it is a God thing. It is a heart thing that only he can do. And at the cross, Jesus took on our deepest pain, our greatest shame, all of our sin, and defeated in, it in that moment. And in his resurrection, he has brought us new life in him. And when we celebrate communion, we celebrate not just an event, but a transaction where our old heart has been taken away and he has deposited inside of each one of us a new heart with the spirit of God living and dwelling inside of us. So we're going to take communion. We're going to have extended worship and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And for some this morning, you need a new heart. Let's just call it as it is. You've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus and you need a new heart and you are in numb living. You're numbing out, going through the motions. And outwardly, it looks like success. And inwardly, it's hollow and empty and dry. And if you're here and you need a new heart, today is the day where you just go, God, I, I need a new heart. Would you come into my life and make me new? I want to trade my old heart I give to you. Would you give me a new heart in return? He says the Spirit of God will come and dwell inside you and make you new. That is the starting place of transformation. For some, you've made that decision, but you've, you've got cardiomyopathy. It's just gotten a little hard. 
and where you go, okay, you know what? I need, to re- I need a renewed heart. Man, if you're here this morning, would you, if you just go, man, God, would you do a work in my heart? You say, raise your hand, man. I'm ready for God to do a fresh work in my heart. I just need that this morning. I just need to show up. And for you, just keep them up. Just go, God, this is my act of surrender. This is my act of going, I need you. It's in our confessions, by the way, whether it's your first time or your 30th time that God meets us. You, you are a spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. God, I pray that you would do heart work for those that need a new heart this moment. You would give them the courage to call out and cry to you and your promises, you will meet them right where they're at. And those who need a renewed heart, those who are ready, is going, I've gone through the motions. I've been numbing out. I need you. I want to start living who you made me to be. Would you meet them in this moment? God, would you do the heart work, the soul work,